you have all kinds of access to sermons upon sermons of preachers who are far more experienced and better than I am. And, but listening to a sermon from someone across the world, um, it robs you of a community of people who can walk beside you when you go through something. Um, and, you know, we're starting a new series today in the book of Ephesians, and I'm really excited about it because it's about that very thing, a community of people. Um, it's about an alternative society that you are seeking after something, and you have no idea that you're seeking it. And when you find this community of people, you say, this is what I've been seeking all along, and I had no idea this is what I was after. All right, so I'm really excited about the series. It's in the book of Ephesians, and it's called A New Humanity. And it's about a community of heaven here on the earth, and something happens by faith where God makes this promise that his spirit dwells in you. And then the spirit of God dwelling in you is stirring something up in you, pulling you towards the Father and the Son and the heavens. But it's, it's doing more than that. So your faith creates a three-way relationship between you, God, and the people in this room. There's a unity that is stronger than a sword can break. I mean, it's an eternal bond that you find. And this is what the book of Ephesians is all about. And today we're going to ask a question. Why, in the city of Ephesus where this book is written, why, in a culture that's similar to ours, why is there an uproar when Christianity takes root in that city? Why is it that when Christ, the grace-giving advocate of love, Seeker of truth, why when news about him enters into this city that is similar to ours, similar to our world, why does a revolt take place? Why is there an uproar? Why is he seen as a threat? And that's what we're going to ask today and we're going to see. And it's a, it's a pretty cool story. I'm really excited about it and what happens. We're going to be in Ephesians 1 verses 1 through 14. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take a bird's eye look at this whole 14 verses. And then... Probably for the next month, we're going to take these 14 verses and we're going to take a few of them at a time and really get in close. So this is 1 through 14 in the book of Ephesians. We're going to have Q&A afterwards. So if you've got questions, make sure you get them in through the sermon. God's word to us. The letter to the Ephesians says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. And are faithful to Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all his wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We're going to ask four questions today. The first one is the longest. First question, and I have to do like a little, uh, like a thing at the end to make it sound like a question. So Christianity, just one religion among many. (laughs) All right, so we live in what you could call a coexist culture. I don't know if you've seen this. Maybe some of you have this. There are bumper stickers that on the back of the car says coexist. I have some friends who sport these. And and what this is essentially saying, this bumper sticker, is, okay, look. We all know that every religion leads to the same place into the same God. So why do we keep fighting about this? Or somebody sports this bumper sticker to say, okay, look, can't we just all get along? But underneath the statement, can't we all just get along, is this thinking that everything comes to the same place. So why are we arguing about this? Why are we fighting about this? So that same thinking is going on in Ephesus. It's a similar place, similar, similar variety of belief systems. So in Ephesus, there There are all of these different religions, there's these different cults, and it's actually famed for being holding the temple of the goddess Artemis. She's the fertility goddess, she's the sex goddess. And because this temple is there, it drew a great economy because, well, sex sells. And so everybody's coming from the surrounding areas to come to this temple to worship Artemis in hopes to be able to have a child. And it brings all of this commerce to the city And this temple is actually considered one of the seven wonders of the world. And when Philo entered and saw this temple, he said, I have seen all of the wonders of the world, of the ancient world, and all of them are put in the shade of Artemis' temple. It's a grand temple. And it's 60 feet tall, has over 100 pillars, and in it... It houses the sacred stone that's a meteorite that fell from the area of Jupiter, and NASA even documents this. And so the question is, why in this city that houses all of these different religions, why when Christianity shows up does it cause a revolt in this whole city? And the answer is because people begin to leave these religions, and they all begin to flock to Christ, and it's beginning to uproot their entire lifestyle. It's changing the commerce because now people aren't coming to the city for Artemis anymore. And, well, what happened is Christ rose above everything else. 
and he became a threat to the city, to the economy, to the way of life. So what is it about Christianity that is such a threat to other religions? What is it about Christianity that seems to topple over other belief systems? It seems to knock over kings and kingdoms. It knocks over philosophies and belief systems and ways of life. What is it? You can, you can think about conversations that might happen in Ephesus. They might go something like this. One guy says to his friend, hey, have you heard about this new religion where God himself comes into the world? And he stripped himself of his glory. He wore a crown of thorns. He was clothed in the sins of the world. And then he dies holding on to the sins of the world so that the world might be able to leave their sins behind and be completely forgiven. And then he rose from the grave. And then he said, anybody who follows him will follow him into eternal life. And then the friend goes on telling his friend. And 500 eyewitnesses have been saying at different times and at different places that they have seen him risen from the dead. And he's spoken to them. And I didn't believe it was true, but then a friend of mine said he saw him, and he believes. And he told me all about him, and I believe. And ever since I believed, I feel free. I feel forgiven. There's a strange warmth in me that I don't know how to describe it except for love. And I thought I loved before, but I now know a love that I never knew was possible to have for God and for people and even for myself. Like I'm even able to forgive myself. And I can't take this smile off of my face. I don't need Artemis anymore, he says. I've been more blessed than I deserve. Not only are stories like that happening in Ephesus, but when you receive this letter from Paul and the readers are reading it and they're listening to it being read, there's something, there's, there's a chord that is struck that speaks about the superiority of Christ. And it happens in this one phrase that's repeated over and over and over again, in Christ. The phrase in Christ means something has been united to him by faith. And this unity in Christ has created this relationship between the God of heaven. And he's given all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places and he's brought them down to us on the earth. And this phrase in Christ, I, I went through it. Like, here's a little, so this is the book of Ephesians in like a little, like a little pamphlet. So, I circled all the places where it says in Christ, but then I looked at all the words that are connected to the in Christ, all the words and phrases. So I just want to read them to you because it's pretty amazing. And, it, and it, it will tell you, well, if you'll let me say this, it will tell you by Christ is better than everything else. Here we go. Faithful in Christ. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Chosen in Christ, blessed in the beloved in Christ, redemption in Christ, God's will and purpose set forth in Christ, God's plan since the fullness of time in Christ, all things united in heaven and earth in Christ, inheritance in Christ, hope in Christ, truth in Christ, salvation in Christ, gospel in Christ, belief in Christ, and sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. Oh, you guys are clapping today. All right. I've got more. You clapped too early. Look at what else it says. Through him. This is predestined and adopted through him. Then it says, because of him, 
All the heavenly blessings are because of him. We've been predestined in love because of him, and we've been united to all things because of him. And then to him and from him. Adoption to himself, grace and peace from him, before him. By faith, we are holy and blameless before him, and then by him, the will of God is established by him, and it was all according to the riches of Christ's grace, to the praise of his glory. And you know what? I was reading this morning, and I found I even missed some. So, So much is made of him that when you see it, you leave everything else behind. It's put in his shade. He rises above everything else. And and he changes the way that you think. You have a completely new worldview. I mean, you have a new lens through which you look at everything that you walk through in this life. You have these new emotions. You have these new feelings that are put through a new lens of everything that you're going through. You're loving people differently now. And, and you look back at all the things that you've done and all the things that have been done to you, whether it's giving you guilt and shame or it's giving you like trauma and brokenheartedness, and you look at it, but now you look at it through this lens of being in Christ and this new gospel and all of these blessings that have been poured down upon you, and you look at it, and it changes the way you see those things. But it doesn't just change the way you look at your past. It changes the way you look at your future. You have this new hope. Everything's changed for you. And so you stop putting your faith in everything else, including yourself. And you go all in with him. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, but other religions make much of Christ. They're not consistent about it. So let me, I just want to show you this. So uh, in the Buddhist belief system, There are leaders in the Buddhist belief system that would say that Jesus is a reincarnation of Buddha. Well, if Jesus is a reincarnation of Buddha, we should listen to what he would have to say, right? If you're Buddhist, well, what does he say? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Buddha, he wanted to eliminate the world of suffering. He wanted to give us a way out of suffering. So he says, well... This is the way out. But Jesus doesn't say the way out. He says, I'm the way. And then you look at the uh, Islamic faith, and they say Jesus is a prophet. And they would also say prophets can't lie. Well, So we should, they should listen to what he has to say. Well, what does he have to say? Well, he says, again, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the Father part is interesting. Because for the Islamic belief system, God is not a father. He's just a God that must be submitted to and obeyed. There's no relationship there. But then if he's a prophet and he says, you come to the father through me, well, now you have a relationship with God. Like, we're so used to hearing this relationship with God thing, we have no idea how radically different Christianity is from every other religion. And then if you look back at the Old Testament, the, the, the book of the Hebrew people, you see, all of these, you see all of these promises that are being made that there will be one who will come to give us the promised land. And then you look at Jesus' life and you just start going check mark, check mark, check mark, check mark. Oh, I didn't even see that coming. Check mark. Whoa, this is amazing. I didn't even know that was a check, but I see it here. And now I'm seeing it back when I look at the Old Testament. Oh my gosh, he really is the one. 
So you look at all of that, and if you really take an honest look, and you're not a Christian, I would just ask why. And maybe you know you do have a question, and so we'll ask it during our Q&A time. But then if you're a Christian, why are you following so far behind him? Like, why aren't you at his heels? And the answer, you should know the answer to that, because there's something, and what, what, whatever it is, you have to start dealing with that, because you're missing out on him and more of him. You're missing out on a lot. And the reason why I think we follow so far behind if we're Christians, and the reason why if we're not Christians, why we stay all the way away is because he's a threat. He's a threat to things that we think are important in our life. I'm in a writing group, and everybody in this group brings something that they're working on, and it's a critique group. So you say, well, this is good, and this could maybe be worked on. And I'm working on a spiritual formation book that's connected to the album we're working on. And the first chapter I brought to the group, and it's about our longing. And I read the chapter to them, and I had them hooked. It was awesome. Now, I want you to know this, this group is filled with most, mostly skeptical people, though not people who, people who are skeptical but yet curious enough to come to church. But I really love these people. So chapter two came, and it's about staying restless until we find the one or thing we're looking for. And ultimately, we're looking for this home, and so we go on this adventure to go find our true home, and I say, don't settle until you find God in the home that you're made for. And well, God is broad enough for them to say, yeah, this is awesome. I love this. And then chapter three, it's the week for chapter three, and I'm driving there, and I'm about to unveil Christ. And I'm driving there, and I'm praying, and I'm like, God, let this be the day. This is going to be amazing. Everybody's going to just like stand up and lift up their arms and it's going to be amazing. Everyone's going to be praising God. I'm like, wow, this is amazing what's happening. So I get there and I start reading it and I start showing how Christ makes all of these claims that, well, everything is about him and he's our only hope and he's our only way and he's our only, like it's him. And they went from loving everything that I was saying to very politely telling me they don't like it at all. And, um, and, and I kind of forced it out of them because I, I could tell, and I'm like, what's going on? Like, tell me. And, and it was that he was making exclusive claims about himself. And, well, he's a threat. He's a threat to our coexist culture. Because his claims force us to not look at everything else and say, yes, all of this could coexist together. Because his claims are too great for that to be. Now, I want to I say this about the coexist mindset. And I just want to expose something. And I, I want to show you this through a parable that people who would adopt the coexist mindset would, would say, this is it. And, and there's a little hole here, and I, maybe you can see it as we go. So I'm going to read it to you. This is the parable. It's about an elephant, a king, and three blind men. One day, a king wanted to teach his court the truth about life and truth. He had an elephant brought into the courtyard of the palace, and his men found three blind men who were begging at the city gates. The blind men asked the king what would they have, he have them do. The king responded, I would like you to tell me about this elephant. The blind man said, your majesty, we don't know what an elephant looks like for we're blind. Ah, but you can feel it, can't you? 
asked the king. The first man stepped up to the elephant's leg and he began to put his hands and arms around it. And after a while, he called out, O king, an elephant is much like a very large tree. It's rough and knobby and very thick, and I can't even wrap my arms around it. The second man then said, How can this be? For when I felt the elephant, it seemed to be very much like a plow with its shears. He felt the trunk and tusks. The third man chimed in saying, You are both entirely mistaken. The elephant is much more like a long slender brush. He felt its tail. The king, his point having been made by the three blind men, then tells his court that truth is much bigger than any one man or one religion can ascertain. It is far better to not limit ourselves to one system of thought or belief. Now that sounds really good. Sounds like it's going to bring about some unity and love. Only there's a big hole in it. And Leslie Newbegin, a missiologist and uh, someone who studies the cultures of the world and how the gospel relates to it, he says in his work doing missionary work on the other side of the world, he says, the story is constantly told in order to neutralize the affirmation of the great religions to suggest that they learn humility and recognize that none of them can have more than one aspect of the truth. But of course, the real point of the story is quite the opposite, he says. If the king were also blind, there would be no story. The story is told by the king, and it is an immensely arrogant claim of one who sees the full truth, which all the other world religions are only groping after. Now, in other words... The mindset of the coexist idea um, is that I have figured it out. I have figured out what all the other religions are groping to understand. I now know the real way. And I want all of you religious people to know that, well, you're kind of like fools because you're all chasing after the same thing. Follow my religion in my way. And then, well, then you will know truth. And so do you see what's happened? It's like a trick. It's like it sounds humble. But in fact, it's the king who's speaking from a place of knowing everything and everyone else is blind. You know, Jesus, you know what he does? He doesn't let us grope for truth. He gives blind people sight. It's different. Second point. Christianity, a religion of blessing by doing good? Many think that um, religion is like karma. If you do good, you'll have blessing. If you do bad, well, you're going to get what's coming to you. And you know what Christianity says? The exact opposite. Christ got what was coming to us, and we got what was coming to him. It's a completely opposite. I want to show you in our verses. So there's something really cool. Of those 15 blessings or the in Christ, the first one is about belief in Christ. The last one is faith in Christ. No, it's flipped. Belief, faith, then belief. The 15th in Christ is about the Holy Spirit applying all of these blessings to your life. So here's what that means. Sandwiched between... All of the blessings is faith and belief. 
it's not a bunch of good things and a bunch of good things, and then you get to take a bite of the sandwich of blessings. It's faith and faith. Christianity is not saying if you obey God, you'll be accepted. It's saying the acceptance that you have received produces obedience in you. It's flipped. It's the exact opposite of what we think. You can think of it like this. There's a ladder up to heaven. And we want to, we want to try to make our good works outweigh our bad. And so we climb and we climb and we climb, hoping that we have done it. And Christianity comes on the scene and it says, the ladder's too high. You'll never reach the heights of the blessings that you are made for. In fact, Christianity says, as soon as you do one thing wrong, the ladder is broken. And you're done for. So instead, the God of the heavens has come down. And he's carried with him every single blessing that there is in the heavenly places. And he's dwelled among us here on the earth. And he took all the curses that belong to me and to you. And he owned them as his own. And he took all the blessings that belong to him. And he gave them. And he and he lavished them upon humanity, created a whole new group of people. I was speaking at a leadership retreat about 10 years ago, and it was, it was to a bunch of leaders of churches. They weren't mostly pastors, just leaders. And I asked a question. I said, at the end of your life, why does God say to you, well done? So they began talking in their groups, and finally we finished up. I said, okay, what you got? One guy stood up uh, representing his group, and he said, because God knows that we really tried hard. Like we, we, he just knows that we were trying hard. Another person stood up and said, no, it's because we love him. And then somebody else said, no, 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 it can't be that. It's got to be because... We have taken our faith seriously, and we've decided that we want people around us to know it. And then finally, thank God for this other man, he stood up and he said, I don't know who your God is, but the reason that my God says, well done to me, is because of the finished work of Christ on the cross and in the resurrection that was credited to me. I didn't deserve any of it, but he took his perfect record and he gave it to me. And I received it by faith. And that is why God says to me, well done. And I said, that's it. Right there. I have found that often when people are rejecting Christianity, they're rejecting the form of it that they've seen it as like karma. That's not what Christianity is. Most people who are rejecting Christianity don't understand that it's a complete gift of all of this beautiful record received, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done. But I've also found that Christians often forget the centerpiece of Christianity, which is it's faith in Christ, not your works. And what we'll often do is we'll begin to measure God's love and acceptance of us based off of how good we were that day. And that could be why your life is such a mess right now. Because you keep measuring God's love and acceptance of you based off of how good you have been today. Well, that's a roller coaster of a ride. And even if you've been so good, I mean, like, you had the best day ever. 
it, is, it pales in comparisons to just one hour of the life of Christ that is credited to you. So why do you keep on holding up your record to God and saying, God, don't you love me? Aren't I great? And he's like, what are you doing? My son came and he died for you and he took your sins and he lived a perfect life so you could be credited with it. What are you doing offering me these rags? Go believe. And then enjoy God. You have nothing to prove to him anymore. His love for you is constant. Christianity is not, uh, it's not earned. It's unwrapped like a gift. Third question. Christianity, a religion that divides and judges? Question mark. And the, the theme of Ephesians is this. It's a new humanity that has been united to each other by the love of God in Christ Jesus. A new humanity united to each other by the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to look, so we're gonna do really bird's eye view of this, of this letter of Ephesians. So this is, you'll find this a lot in, in Paul's writings. If you're like a Bible person and you wanna know, this is a cool thing. So in all of Paul's writings, he starts off with what you could call an indicative. This is, means here are the truth claims about Christianity and about Christ. This is the gospel, the, the first part. The, the second half of his letters are all imperatives, which means this is then how you should live. So it starts off, here's the gospel. The last three chapters of Ephesians is, now you have been united to Christ and his people by his love, so now love others as you have been loved and be united to them. Christians are known often for their pride, their judgments, and the divisions that they cause. All right. I just made a judgment about Christians. So is that wrong? Can we make any judgments at all? And the answer is yes, absolutely. You have to. There is a way, though, to judge that is right and a way that is wrong. And the way to judge that is right... No, let's start with the wrong way first. The wrong way is this. Here's how it starts. You're insecure. You would never admit that. Nobody actually thinks you're insecure, but you're, you are incredibly insecure. And you see a problem. I'm not pointing at anybody here. I'm pointing down here, so nobody be like, oh, you were talking to me, David. It's down here. So there's a problem. And the insecure person says, ooh, those people have a problem. This makes me feel good. Ooh, they just failed. Ooh. All right. I'm going to point it out. And by pointing it out, I'm going to start, I'm going to start feeling like this. Like I'm, I'm lifting myself up by seeing their failure. And then I'm going to point it out and I'm going to cause division and I'm going to break those people. Now, you would never say that you do that, but your heart maybe says something else. That's the wrong way to judge. That's the judgment where Christ says, you have a log in your own eye, but you're talking about the speck in someone else's. But a healthy way to judge looks like this. I have complete confidence in Christ. I have complete confidence in the love and acceptance that I have received from God. And there's nothing that I can do to lose it. And so I don't have anything to prove. So I see a problem. I see somebody doing something or I see like that's not good. And instead of being like, 
I'm going to lift myself over them. We follow the pattern of Christ and we bring ourselves low out of love for people. And we bring ourselves lower to them, lower than them as a servant. And we come and we lift them up to bring about healing, transformation and unity. So that's the action of a Christian. That's the action of someone who is confident that God loves them and has accepted them. Not because of anything that they're doing, but because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. The whole context of Ephesians is there are two types of people in this church in Ephesus, Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, and they hated each other, but then they were enemies, but then they realized something in Christ. They were once enemies of God, all of them, and yet God himself has come down into the world and he has died for his enemies to make them his friends, to bring peace. And when you realize that God has done that for you, you look at your enemies here that now have been united in Christ and you say, you are my friend, you are my brother. I'm united to you for all of eternity. It creates unity. There's a story of two countries that were at war and the armies went up against each other and there was a lot of deaths. But it wasn't because of the fighting, it was because of wolves they were like ravaging the camps. And so these two armies said, we have a solution. Let's have peace together. We'll stop the fighting so we can focus on the wolves and we'll take them out. So they take out the wolves and then they return to fighting. That's unity because of a common enemy. We experienced that in America. We, were, we had disunity. 9-11 happened, unity over time, disunity again. Christians are able to experience true unity because every single one of us know that we were once enemies with God, but he died to give us peace with him, with his father, and so there we have no war to fight. It's already been fought we don't have to be against each other. We can be for each other always because we have a God who, while we were enemies, was for us. Last question. Christianity, a religion that steals the fun, question mark. Christians are called fun squashers. Now, that should not be. Because we have the most to be thankful for. We have the most to be joyful for. You know this phrase, it says, to the praise of his glory. Now here's what that means. In the context of these verses, we have all of these blessings that I read to you about being in Christ. And they've all been given to us in like a cloud surrounding us of his glory. Like surrounding in the blessings. We're looking around and we're like, I didn't do anything to get this. I just simply believed. I can't believe it. I have so much to be thankful for. And you know what happens when you're thankful enough? Joy starts bubbling up in you. You know what happens when you've got enough joy bubbling up in you? It starts spilling out. It has nowhere else to go. And so it goes, goes out as praise. The people who are praising have realized that they have come to the end of themselves. They tried to climb the ladder, and it didn't work. They were unable unfit and unworthy to attain the blessings of heaven. But they understood 
that in the rebellion in their heart, in their anger towards God, in their frustration, in their hatred, that God has come down and picked them, chose them before the foundation of the world, and said, you are mine. Despite my own arrogance, despite my running from God, despite me wanting to steal all of his praise, despite me wanting his throne that belongs to him alone, despite me wanting to see people fail so I could feel good about myself, despite all of it, he picked me. And I have no idea why, but he did. And I've gotten nothing but thanks and praise to him because of what he did for me in Christ. I heard um, a well-known preacher say he was praying one day on this hike, and he said, God, you must feel so grateful to have someone like me. And then he said, and then I realized in my prayers that God didn't need me at all. There's a Bible verse that says, even the rocks cry out, which means he didn't need him. God does not bless you because of how great you are. He blesses you with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that you didn't even deserve, and he blessed you, and that's making you great. And that fills you with praise. with laughter. And he did it all while you were an enemy. You know, every great story ends with a party, a celebration. And I know that there's a lot wrong with our world and we have not yet reached the end of the story, but we know how the story ends. And because we know how the story ends, we can look at it and we can have joy now and it means we can celebrate now. And it means that Every spiritual blessing that is yours now, and then though some await you, they're still yours all the way, you can start having a party now. And it means then that Christians should not be fun squashers, but fun instigators. In every single one of these spiritual blessings that is now yours in Christ, it didn't come because God was up in heaven and he was rooting you on like he believed in you. It didn't come because he threw a rope down for you to climb up. And it didn't come because he sent a prophet down to point you a way to him. It happened because he himself came down. And he stripped himself of all of his glory. And on the cross, all the blessings that were his were taken and given to us. And he descended into death and into hell. And then he rose up And you know where he is now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he there is ruling and reigning, and he is sending blessings down to you right now in this moment. And if you're not experiencing those blessings, if you're not believing those blessings, then what do you do? Well, you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. I'm not thinking it's true, and I need your help. So help me, God. I believe. Help my unbelief. And all of this has happened in Christ alone. It's, it's in him, through him, to him.
to him, for him, by him, and with him all of the way. So you go all in with him with your hope and with your faith. Because of all of the claims that are made about him here and all of the claims that he has made about himself, you either must revolt against him or revolt against everything else that isn't him. Because there is a throne that sits on your heart and soul and only one person can occupy it. Who will you put there? And what kind of blessings will it be? Who can give you what he can? There's no one and there's nothing. And so go all in and he will bless you with every spiritual blessing that there is in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Father, in your goodness, you have sent your son. And we confess that we have not responded to this good news the way we should. And yet you look on us with love and grace. But we don't want to stay where we are. We want, we want to live a life that is in step with all that you have done for us. And so help us because we can't do it without you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at the Grove Church Official and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.